the San Francisco Experience podcast. Brought to you by Jim Herlihy. Independent commentary from a Silicon Valley, California perspective for a global audience featuring newsmakers, thought leaders, and authors. Season 20, Episode 17. A conversation about prevention, intervention, and harm reduction. A crisis in San Francisco with Leandro Gonzalez. Our guest today is Leandro Gonzalez. In the fall, he'll matriculate into the doctoral program at University of San Francisco, focusing on population health education. San Francisco is facing an unprecedented crisis of drug overdoses, in part because of the perfusion of fentanyl, a synthetic opioid. Fentanyl is 50 times stronger than heroin and 100 times stronger than morphine. The impact of fentanyl is being felt in every neighborhood, regardless of race, gender, economic level, and housing status. With us today is Leandro Gonzalez, whose research on the topic has revealed some startling results. He joins us from his home in San Francisco. Hi, Leandro, and welcome to the show. Hello, Jim. Thank you for having me. It's been a a busy week. (laughs) Very good. Tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do here in San Francisco. Uh, Yeah, so my day job, I am a social worker, and I have been working in the Tenderloin for the past 15 years, working directly with our marginalized communities. I'm finishing up a, a master's. I graduate on Friday. And I get to present my thesis, my master thesis, tomorrow in front of our department chair and graduate advisor and, and a few friends and citizens. My focus is public health policy mm-hmm. and been doing this research for a little bit over a year. I've taken individuals and placed them into stabilized housing so my experience of working with extremely vulnerable individuals is part of my job, providing a safe space for them. Tell will, us about the work that you do in the Tenderloin. The Tenderloin is one of the toughest neighborhoods in San Francisco. And in the 15 years that you've been a social worker working in the Tenderloin, tell us about your caseload. Tell us about some of the concrete things that you've done working with your clients in the Tenderloin. Thank you, Jim. Uh, currently, I have a, a caseload of 140 clients, and all of them were fully homeless with special needs. So, again, they come from a very a vulnerable place, but from working with them and engaging with them and giving them that support, I have seen them come out and be successful in being placed into stabilized housing. Um, also, through my research, I'm seeing participants because they're individuals who, who, I'm, who I'm monitoring. But I've been through my research, it's for, uh, 40 participants and, you know, give them sandwiches and burritos. So I've been able to become friends with some of, some of these individuals, you know, and they're people as well. They're very nice. Of course. Uh, they, love, they love to talk and they um, engage with you. And, you know, once they see you create that safe space for them, Mm -hmm. once they see you give them that 
that open embracement, they will engage. Mm -hmm. And for me, that is extremely important to look into these into these gaps and see why our most vulnerable population is subcoming from 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 overdose. Tell me, in the fifteen years that you've worked as a social worker in in the Tenderloin, how many people have you actually housed? How many people have you actually, how many lives have you touched? I'm sure you've touched hundreds and hundreds, but how many people have they actually housed in the last 15 years? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, let's see. Just been working in different programs and through case management and through outreach and intervention and prevention, probably, probably about 500. I mean, I can't give you the exact numbers of how many I've, housed but i can tell you one thing is one of the greatest feelings is when you take an individual and you take the time to do an intake with them and the best part of working with that individual is when you when you tell him that they are housed that's Mm -hmm. one of the greatest feelings and i'm extremely proud to say that that i've helped our clients get into into stabilized housing. That's a very impressive record. We hear so much about homelessness here in San Francisco, but it's very rare that we come across someone like yourself who's in the front lines, who's identifying the homeless needs that these folks have and to have a positive effect in actually putting them in housing. So great work that you're doing there. Let's move on. Let's talk about fentanyl. Where does it come from? Why has it taken such a hold in San Francisco? Tell me about fentanyl. Uh, yes, Jim. Fentanyl is a, a powerful synthetic opioid. And just from my research, it, it's actually prescribed by doctors. It was invented by a Belgian doctor by the name of Paul Jensen mm-hmm. in 1959. And it was given to treat cancer patients. And then, of course, things evolved with then it took another turn. So I know that now a lot of the chemicals come from from China into Mexico and then produced in a lab. So by doing so, it becomes so powerful that it's 50 times stronger than heroin, 100 mm-hmm. times stronger than morphine. Mm. Even a, a granular amount can cause an overdose and subsequent mortality. Mm. Um, but it's... Something that needs to be addressed here in San Francisco because it's not only affecting our homeless communities, but it's affecting our general population that are not homeless. And um, so it's a concern. It's a public health concern. Just to put it in perspective, you told me off air that during the COVID pandemic, we actually had more drug overdose deaths from fentanyl than we had deaths from COVID. Is that correct, Leandro? Uh, yes, uh, that's correct. So from the research so I took, again, I took uh, the years 2017 to current, you see the big spike during the, the pandemic, and San Francisco had more overdose-related deaths than, than COVID-related deaths. So yes, that, that is true. You've really put the crisis in perspective that more people died from fentanyl overdoses during the pandemic than actually died from COVID. And that continues, and those numbers are only increasing today. Let's come on to harm reduction, because harm reduction is one of the key strategies that you talk about 
for addressing this crisis. For the benefit of our listeners, explain to us what a harm reduction program is. Thank you, Jim. It depends who you ask what harm reduction is and what the definition what the definition is. But currently, right now, from just my, my my research, is that you need to keep reframing what what harm reduction is. The definition is uh, harm reduction is to minimize the public health policy policies designed to lessen the negative social or physical consequences of various human behaviors. Uh, both legally and illegally. But to me, harm reduction is to create that safe space for them and to meet the client where they are and to take the service to the person who may be in harm's way and to give them that help, to give them that support, lessen the, the negative impact. Now, what kind of services are available to a user in a harm reduction center? For instance, I would imagine uh, they would have access to syringes, they could dispose of syringes, they would have safer drug use, they would uh, supervise consumption services. Tell us about some of the services that would be offered in in a harm reduction center. Great question. So one of the things that these centers would need to have is wraparound services in addition to creating safe space for them to be able to use. Also uh, through clean needle exchange, through HIV testing, through hepatitis C testing. But what these programs would do is they would provide a wraparound service so that they take off the plate from our first responders, our nurses, our emergency room doctors, our law enforcement. These are the things that, just from doing research, that are the benefits to these programs. In addition from for saving lives, they create, in a public policy way, they, they reduce emergency room visits and uh, hospitalizations and ambulance trips, which can cause a big bill for the, the hospital or the taxpayers or whoever you want to. In addition to those services, of course, the, the staff in a harm reduction center is also going to be able to talk to them about detox programs about rehab programs. So it's as when you talk about a wraparound service, you're talking about everything. So this is an opportunity for a user to kind of come in from the cold to talk to a professional, not only about the immediate need, which is use, but also the the broader issues of detoxification or rehab and services like that. I mean, this center would also be kind of a gateway to helping these individuals to perhaps move on and move beyond their use problem. Right. Well, let's move on at this point because harm reduction has been a somewhat controversial concept. Many argue that a harm reduction center is essentially enabling users to use drugs as opposed to getting them detoxified or get getting them off drugs how, what, how do you respond to that criticism that a harm reduction center is enabling the use of fentanyl or other serious substances like that and it goes to say that you know it would be a little bit controversial for me to say but 
the objective of these programs are not that silver plate. They are not going to get an individual to stop substance use. What these programs, what they will do well is they will take that individual into a safe, clean, supportive, sanitized environment and out of the public view and out of somebody's doorway, it would create that safe space for them so that they don't risk their lives, losing their lives. Mm -hmm. And once you have them engaged, once they see that you have that care, they may not want to engage those few visits. And, you know, they may not want the bottled water in in the beginning. But then once they see that engagement, once they see that the ability of that you care and that you that you support them, you know, maybe they may want a referral on their next visit or they may want to get into detox in the next visit. Once you have them, you have them. You you create this safety net and the most important thing is that it creates a, it's a safety net for them so that they can continue to live. Mm-hmm. Now, how would you roll out such a program in San Francisco? What kind of resources would be necessary to roll out such a program? And wasn't there an attempt to do this last year with the Link Center in San Francisco? Can you talk about that? Uh, yes, the Lincoln Center was was rolled out as an emergency response, considered a public health crisis here in, in San Francisco. So that that was created. The organizations involved with that was HealthRight 360. Again, my focus in my research is reducing the morbidity and mortality of an overdose, a fatal overdose. Mm-hmm. So from the, my research, it saved. 333 lives so that to me that's us there's also been research done that it reduced the crime around the neighborhood so that that's also to me is a success because i work in the tenderloin Mm -hmm. and as far as pushback yeah i mean there was protesters and but again public opinion is a big uh, concern here in san francisco and um, we we may not all agree can agree to disagree but for me again my focus is reducing the morbidity and mortality to me that was that was a success so using those measures of morbidity and mortality it was successful because up to 300 people were saved from overdoses uh yes that's correct jim okay now let's come back to what city agencies would you call upon for a new harm reduction program here in San Francisco. What are the kind of resources that are necessary and what city agencies, because we have many city agencies that, that work with, with our substance abusers, people who, who use uh, users, what kind of resources would be necessary and what city agencies would you look to for leadership in this field? Thank you, Jim. That's a great question. One uh, organization uh, off the top of my head that that will, first and foremost, is you you have to be able to work with the law enforcement. Uh, We need to be able to work with our first responders, with our stakeholders of the community or wherever this center will be. But everyone needs to do their part so that they can be successful. That's from Department of Public Health to the 
San Francisco Police Department, but we all need to do our part so that these programs work. In New York City, you have one of the programs there called On Point mm-hmm. that has their New York P- NYPD hand out cars. If they see someone on the street, go and engage them and say, hey, you know, here's this car, go over there and uh, do it in a safe, clean environment. So it's going to take a lot of work. I mean, it's not it's not going to develop overnight, but these are the the priorities uh, within our leadership, our elected officials, our, our mayor. But these are uh, some of the essential things that need to happen before, you know, before they open, because they're going to need the support of each other. Let's come back to the uh, to New York's on point program. Do you have some some statistics there as regards the number of overdoses that they've prevented as a result of this uh, this new program? Any numbers to to back up the uh, the success of uh, On Point? Well, my focus I, I have been evaluating On Point, and my research is more within the Linkage Center. Yes, <laughs> so I can tell. I can Here tell in San you Francisco. Those. Yes. Yes. Right. Right. I mean, I, I've been evaluating. That that's and and again for my dissertation you can you know I'll be but right now for my master thesis I've been sort of evaluating the linkage center and the success that, that it's had here, but I can tell you that right now that they have engaged with over three thousand participants hmm. in both their in both sites in Washington Heights and uh, East Harlem I believe. Mm-hmm. To me, they've uh, also picked up clean needles, syringes of the park. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, one statistic is is they had removed thirteen thousand uh, needles in, in in one month, and then mm. the following month, you know, there was only a thousand. So oh. that was okay. Well, that, there's there's something measurable, an improvement, right? No doubt. Well, Leandro, in the remaining few minutes of the podcast. Do you have some closing thoughts for our listeners regarding harm reduction, fentanyl, and other substances? Well, I can say that the organizations here in San Francisco that provide harm reduction services is, is Health Right 360, also the Harm Reduction Coalition, the San Francisco AIDS Foundation, mm-hmm. and the Sixth Street harm reduction center those are sites that i always refer individuals to if they're having crisis so and they do the same the sixth street harm reduction center i saw them a few days ago picking up syringes up the street so they're you know they're they're doing their work so Mm -hmm. they're making making it a clean clean space for for the for, for us for the population absolutely well leandro how can our listeners learn more about harm reduction programs in general and most importantly, how can they contact you? Yeah. Okay. So my Twitter is Leandro Gonzalez, and that's where I post a lot of my harm reduction articles and scholarly articles and academic information. Also on my, my LinkedIn, you know, it's important that we continue spreading the message to remove stigma. Mm-hmm because that's what's preventing us from having success on these sites. We just got to send that message, a universal message, that, and remove any negative words that have to do with substance use or mental health or, you know, because we have, we've all been, you know, we all have relatives. We all have a family member, a friend, or, 
somebody who's suffer, suffering from substance use, and and it's important to me. I've seen my own family members suffer from that, and and um, it just removing the stigma, I think, is is going to be uh, one of the big uh, important ways and how we can we can have these these centers operating. Mm-hmm. Well, Leandro, we appreciate all the work that you do here in San Francisco. Some admirable results on the on the streets of San Francisco, particularly in the Tenderloin District. And congratulations on your upcoming graduation and, of course, starting your doctorate in the fall. Once again, we thank you for joining us today and sharing with us your experience and your passion to help the homeless and fentanyl users here in San Francisco. Thank you so much, Jim. And for our listeners, today's episode is number 402 as the San Francisco Experience podcast continues to mark our third anniversary. With an audience spanning 65 countries, listen to us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Amazon Music, 19 platforms in total. This has been the San Francisco Experience podcast with Jim Herlihy, coming to you from San Francisco. 